Welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast, a podcast exploring the sprawling caverns of gaming, hidden treasures of geekdom, and the unexpected intersections of reality. I'm Ken Newquist, and I run in the dark because it's January, and there is no sunlight anymore because the gym is closed, and I have to go outside to run. So, Ouch. You'll have to explain why the gym is closed. Uh, yes. I'm David Moore, and I had an excellent holiday, and I am ready for the new year. But I am not ready with the segue, even though this is the second time we're doing this. Um, so, just because we're here doesn't mean we're prepared. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, normally we start with a little bit of back and forth before we get to our main topic, where our main topic today is going to be uh, board games that we love. And, uh, but we're going to start in the game room anyway and talk about games in general. You have one. Yeah. Here so, I, I do. I do. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. I do. So this is uh, for my friends on Twitch. This is Atari 50. And you may say, but Ken, didn't you talk about getting uh, Atari replay or whatever? Um, and yes, I did. And yes, it's very similar. But this is more like a virtual museum with all the Atari games. And so it's it's pretty cool because basically what was let's see the company that produced this. Digital Eclipse. Um, what they did is they went in and they interviewed like the original game designer. So they, and they, they have a, a whole timeline of basically the history of Atari. So going back to the like mid seventies and talking about Pong, yeah. right. And talking about the origin of Pong, the hardware that Pong ran on, um, legends behind Pong and, um, the machine, they, they had a great thing where they interviewed all these different people from that time period. And they talked about the legend of the broken Pong machine. And I had never actually heard this before. And so the legend of the Broken Pong Machine is they deployed it to some bar in California. The next day, the uh, the bar owner calls and basically is like, your machine is crap. Get rid of it. It broke after, you know, just like one night. What the hell, right? And so uh, the guy who had the, the lead engineer, whomever the designer of Pong, shows up um, and he realizes as he opens it and all these quarters fill out that it wasn't broken. It was they, stuff it just full couldn't, of quarters. <laughs> stuff full of quarters. <laughs> Yes, I did so, hear that one before. <laughs> it's pretty and apparently it's it's like actually true. This is like the first like handmade Pong cabinet that they basically their user testing was let's go stick at a bar in California somewhere and see what happens, right? And so right. they it turned out like it was like the perfect bar machine, right? Because you could play with one hand, you could play, you know, like control the paddle while you were drinking your beer. Yep. And uh and it filled up with quarters. So it's a cool presentation because you basically have like all of this information about the, the Atari games. And it actually spawns, it's not spawns, covers the entirety of the of the Atari's history up through like the Jaguar, right? So it, it talks about Lynx, it talks about Jaguar, it talks about the different iterations of the Atari machines, including the computers. Um, and it's it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a better, more compelling presentation than um, the previous version which was basically like let's take all the atari games and stick them on a on a on a uh, switch cartridge and there you go like you could read the manuals but that was about it this actually provides you context and it's yeah it's pretty cool like they talk about atari made pinball machines i had no idea that atari made pinball machines (laughs) i don't i I can't name a single one of them but i do know that they did make them for a while so yeah, and the guys that the, the the people who worked on those original pinball machines went on to work on like some of the really famous pinball machines during the '80s, which their names escape me right now. But it, it's just a cool like I didn't know how much I was going to enjoy it, but it's pretty cool to like read like these short clips, 
see original advertisements, some of which are just like you very cringeworthy in oh, 2022. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just to kind of see the history, history of the hobby, the other things that are cool about it is it actually has a functional version of Star Master. Star Master is a 3D, uh, like th- like one of the first dogfighting style, like 3D first person huh. starfighter type simulators that inspired okay. apparently X-Wing, like a lot of the classic, like all the classic dogfighting um, right. starfighter games that came after Wing Commander. This game inspired those, but I could not find a functional port of that game because when atari released it for the 2600 it came with this ad- this added keypad like i'm holding up my phone but it was like it was only ever used for this game and okay, you could only okay. control the game using this keypad right and so you needed it to bring up the galaxy map and choose where in the galaxy you wanted to go and what have okay. you and so none of the emulators could actually support this except they right. do on this version nice. so that was pretty cool nice. um there's a remastered Yars Revenge. I love Yars Revenge. It's updated I with like Yars new graphics on the Atari VCS. So I finally there understand you go. it now. <laughs> when I played it before, it was a friend's copy who had lost the manual, of course. Um, right. <laughs> and so he's like, here, and just like hands me the joystick. And it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm, how it works. And then, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it's also amazing being older, playing so many video games over my life. It's like, oh, this is the pattern, you know? Right. It's like <laughs> it's super easy to guess the pattern when you've gone through as many video games as you and I have. Um, right. But like when it starts spinning that little star thing that's going to shoot at you, it's like, okay, well, get ready to dodge. And this is how I'm going to dodge because it's not a super smart AI like they would, or, or, you know, a super smart script like they would have now. Um, right. But yeah. 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 And so it also has, so, uh, kids who grew up in the eighties, will remember there was a series called sword quest and it was most notable because it had like this, these quests associated with it. Like you could win a prize, right. For, for having completed each of the games. It was like, and there was sword like quest and like water quest and earth quest. I think it was fire. It was fire quest, water quest, earth quest. And then the mythical never made ultimate vaporware air quest okay. because Atari went basically like this, the heart the game, the video game crash happened. Right. And then Atari's like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. Right. Um, but they actually completed the game. So they went back and they looked at like the mock-ups and like the storyboards and what have you for air world. And they, they made a version of air world that you can play. Nice. So if you've been waiting for the fourth version. Has has earth and fire and water. I don't know if it has air. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. I don't think, Um, I think it's exclusive to this collection because. That would not surprise me. Because I think, I think basically what's on the VCS is the other collection that you have as well on the Switch. Right, um, right, which we talked about in our last episode, if I remember yeah. correctly, because we were geeking out about your Atari. So that guy, man, that was part of what inspired me to like get this version. But it's it's just it's cool for anybody who is interested in the history of gaming and kind of like what like hardware and software development looked like in the early years, right? Like the the the, the fact that you know like Pong ran on dedicated hardware because that was yeah. the only way that you could run it. <laughs> yeah, yep. it was not a general purpose computing machine, right? It could do one thing. It could run do Pong. Pong. <laughs> yeah. But when you turned it on, you were instantly in Pong. It wasn't like a several minute 
boot up sequence right. or anything like right. that. Right. So that's the uh, that that's my big development on the Atari front. My other like at the other opposite end of the spectrum, I my family uh, got a PlayStation Five. We cool. haven't had one for the last like it came out with two years ago. Um, it's been difficult to get. You got it, but didn't talk much about it last time. So right. So we so we got it, and so now uh, so cool. And yeah. I gave in, and I got Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven because um, look. I just can't do the keyboard and mouse. You mentioned that. You <laughs> did mention that. I think we can't, we talked about this before. So uh, I am so, so, so much better with the, the game console than I am with, uh, with keyboard and, and mouse. Mu- it's, it's much better now as well. Like uh, when, when the original Xbox came out and you'd have things like Halo on both P, I think it was Halo yeah. on both PC and Xbox, and crossplay was a thing. The PC players would just trash the Xbox players because they could look up and down and left and right super quickly and easily with the mouse. But that wasn't the case <laughs> with with controllers. But that's because also because you know developers are just learning how to program for controllers in general. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been great. I've played it way more than I have on my on my on my Mac because I was using GeForce Now. Um, so I achieved my goal over Christmas break of actually being able to play Cyberpunk. I've gotten through like the opening section, and I've I've met uh, uh, Johnny Silverhand, yep. Silver Arm, right? Um, uh, so now I'm in the thick of it, Silverhand. Yeah. So I'm I'm living the Cyberpunk dream. Cool. <laughs> so what do you have game wise? Yeah, so. I uh, did not come into this room almost at all during the the week that I was away, um, which is unfortunately a, a sure sign that I would that I was starting to burn out. So it was good for me to get out of the office and uh, and so I played on I played a little bit on the uh, the Steam Deck, but. Uh, I played, I finally played, uh, something's not in the notes, which is invisible hours, which is a VR game, um, where you are, uh, watching the interplay between a whole bunch of different people, Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla, and other people who are at Tesla's house. Um, theoretically it's warden cliff. There's been a murder. And so you have to solve that murder and, uncover the mysteries of the house you can watch each chapter it's kind of like a they they say it's more like a play than a game is the way they describe it but you can watch each chapter you can rewind time and then follow somebody else through different parts of the house and watch them and listen to their dialogues and such like that find clues in the area and that was a lot of fun aaron had been on me for like six months of like, hey, why don't you play it? Why don't you play that game? <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. And so it kind of broke things open to play other things. Like she was, we played another, another, it was like a two-player game that was like solving puzzles. But I don't remember what it was now. But we kind of got onto a puzzle solving thing. And she got stuck stuck on uh, Sexy Brutal, which is made or published by the same people who made Invisible Hours. And it's a very different look and feel. It's like top, not top down, but it's it's more 2D-ish sort of thing. And it's preventing people from getting murdered in a Groundhog <laughs> Day style game. 
you nice. wake up, this spirit reincarnates you or, or wakes you up or something. There's a whole mystery around that. And you see someone get shot. And then after they get shot, time rewinds to the beginning of the day. And so you're able to like peek through door, peek through uh, peepholes um, and go through the mansion and stuff. But if any other occupant of the mansion sees you, they all have masks on as as do you. And so like there's something mystical about it that the mask will fly up and try and kill you. Oh, thus restarting your day. Uh, <laughs> OK, so okay. you cannot be seen by other people. Um, and so that's why you're like peeking through peepholes and stuff. So your first task is to prevent the person who was shot from actually getting shot. Gotcha. And then when you do that, it opens up more of the house. And then you find out that another group of people are killed. And so you have to prevent their deaths, et cetera, et cetera. Sounds and fantastic. I was having trouble with it and it's not technically two player, but we sat on the couch and I had the controller and we were both brainstorming. It's like, well, what if we do this? Well, what if we pull that lever? Well, what if we go to this room over here before this guy comes in, blah, 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 blah. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I recommend that game that it's, it's an older, older ish game, like four or five years ago, I think maybe okay. I also recommend invisible hours. That was a, another really good one. If you happen to have VR, I think there's a non VR version of it, but the VR version I, I liked because you could look around the room and like reach out and kind of pick, pick up, you know, the piece of paper and read it and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can see yeah, how that would be more compelling. And then my daughter is lean. She had bought me a game a year or two ago called TikTok: a tale for two. And actually she bought two copies, one for her, one for me. And it's a, it's a <laughs> co-op game, but it's a, it's a strange co-op game. Uh, it is not a networked co-op game. You pick if you are player one or player two. And so if you are player one, you get one half of the puzzle that needs to be solved and player two gets the other half of the puzzle that needs to be solved. And you have to talk back and forth, describing what you're seeing, saying what you're doing, and then trying to brainstorm between the two of you, what the solutions for each of the puzzles are. Oh. And the story here is that you're searching for what happened to this woman's missing sister. And so you're going through and you're kind of like pulled back in time and step through different years of their life. And then you gotcha. have to solve puzzles through that, through that whole thing. She and I played it on, I played it on steam deck. She played it on her laptop sitting on the couch, but it's entirely possible to just like have someone here and a, a friend on discord and you're just talking back and forth. Um, and you don't need any sort of network connection to do it, which wow. is pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely. In uh, non-gaming developments, uh, so I, I mentioned running in the dark. Uh, yes. That was because, so the college I work at, the the gym goes under reduced hours during January break. So oh, I was okay, off okay. between Christmas and New Year's, and now the college is, is open for interim, but it's at a greatly reduced schedule. And so I showed up at the gym, and they're like, hey, we're closing the gym. Like, oh, okay, so I guess I'll go up to the quad and run in the dark. Um, so it's not the complete dark. You know, like it's, a, it's a college quad, so it's, it's pretty well illuminated. And the cool thing this year is they went and they put up all of these uh, Christmas lights, white Christmas lights on all the trees. So it's actually a very beautiful, very relaxing kind of 
calming jog because it's very warm here right now. I think okay. it was like 55. Yeah, I was say, I was uh, you definitely don't want to be running <laughs> in the cold and iciness. No, no. I mean, I did that when we were, when we were, when we were preparing for film, I have run on the same quad when it was 20 degrees out. Mm. Um, cause when you run a run, you got to run. But, uh, that was a different, that was a very different challenge, but tonight, you know, it was, it was nice, you know, just cool. kind of soaking in the Christmas lights and, and it's foggy here too. Right. So it was a very kind of sort of quasi mystical, surreal experience to just like run in circles around the quad. So that's, very cool. that's why I'm running in the dark. Uh, we'll okay. see once the, once the gym goes to regular hours, hopefully I can get back in on the indoor track, but I, I like to run outdoors, but in the winter, it's just, it's just too difficult to to run, I, I will not run on the street in the dark because that's just how you get hit oh, yeah. by cars or fall in potholes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. One, one, yeah, one broken ankle in a lifetime is more that's than enough for me. So, yeah, that's all I need. But we had another, we had a fuzzy development, a fuzzy furry development named Forest. So mm-hmm. uh, we are seeing I Puppy, who I believe I mentioned on the last podcast, our new one has arrived. He was Puppy F. And so his name is Forrest. Uh, I think his brother is Fonzie. Okay. Uh, I can't remember what his sister's name was. But in any case, uh, they're all F puppies. Uh, he is ridiculously cute. Uh, he's actually pretty well behaved uh, for a seven-week-old puppy. He's a golden retriever. And uh, he is just so amazingly uh, fuzzy. <laughs> I took him for a walk this morning around the block and cause it's been raining. He came back. He weighs, he weighs about seven pounds, maybe eight at this point. You would think to look at him. He's like 13 pounds because it's all just fluff. fluff. And so you yeah. come back and he's just like a sponge. That's just soaked up all of the water oh, no. as we walked around the neighborhood. <laughs> so it's going to be a bit, a bit of a different experience having a dog with long hair, but, uh, gotcha. We'll make it through. <laughs> maybe, maybe one of these, uh, one of these streams that Forrest could, could visit. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think maybe, maybe next time he's the, the game room is still, the game room was holiday central. And okay. so it is, this is where we wrapped all the presents and although you can't see it and that's tactical, uh, <laughs> there are piles <laughs> of stuff everywhere and sure. it would be horrible for him to be here right now, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. he is super duper cute. Um, he's pretty well behaved and, uh, we're still working on house training. We only got him on Tuesday of last week. So we've been gotcha. steadily kind of, you said what, it's seven usually weeks old, seven weeks old. Yeah. yeah. So we usually have him housebroken within like, it depends like two to four weeks. Um, Hank, our, our second housebreaking dogs. We do. <laughs> like the key is if they get that look in the eye, their eye, you go and do something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just it's the same thing with toddlers. <laughs> yeah. You don't wait. You don't wait. Right. It's like, will he, won't he? Yes, he will. And even if he doesn't, you just need to get him outside before something happens. So I'm taking yeah. him to work tomorrow. So we'll see how well that goes. Cause we're on the fourth floor of a, a part of a, uh, office building. Mm. Um, so the key is getting him downstairs as quickly as possible. <laughs> yes. Yes. And <laughs> when he wakes up from whatever nap he's that young, I imagine there isn't like a timing that you can like go. No, hey, it's, it's mostly like hour. Let's go out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like when you're first starting, it's like every 15 minutes, if he's awake, you just take him out, whether he needs to go or not, you just take him out. Got and it. then, it turns out he actually, he's got a fair amount, like he sleeps through the night. Like he, we've had puppies that got up like every two hours to go to the bathroom. Mm. Um, 
he just sleeps like he slept until like 8 30 during christmas break i'm like wow this dog is amazing <laughs> so <laughs> yep. so we shall see i don't have very many meetings tomorrow i'm going to be in the office so it's a good opportunity to get him out into the world and, and see what's what so cool. um very cool so we have we have a plan we have a master plan we do have a master that involves plan. maps you know we've we've talked over the past couple seasons about wandering into different parts of the lair things like that and we thought it would be a, a good idea to have a map you know i mean yeah there are some parts of the lair that shift and move and things like that but you know given the fact that our lair is the remnants of an earlier shall we say secret lair <laughs> that we should probably map out all the rooms that we have uh and were created at some point and we've created so we're going to participate in the hashtag dungeon 23 uh as much as we can uh i have a post ready to go given the fact that we're recording this on the third we're already several days behind so par for the course <laughs> for us and so but we'll be posting on layersecrets.com maybe on mastodon and, and twitter the idea is for the dungeon 23 challenge it's to write a single dungeon room per day and then every month is one level of the dungeon and so like all of january we'll have 31 rooms theoretically that will be level one of our layer and then february becomes like level two or sub basement two however you want to <laughs> organize things and so at the end of the end of the year uh, if you've done this the whole time, you will have 365 rooms and 12 level, a 12 level mega dungeon. You know, some of the suggestions are, you know, don't write a five page description for each room. You're just going to burn yourself yes. out. You could just say, <laughs> hey, there's five goblins and 15 silver pieces in this room here. And uh, the person who I don't know if he created it or if he's just really promoting the idea. I think he created it is. Uh, pushing really hard for uh, like, don't burn yourself out with it. Go ahead and use generators, go ahead and use prompts, et cetera, to do whatever you need to do. We might do that. Uh, I also think that we'll probably be mining uh, some rooms that we did come up with in the old secret layer blog and <laughs> podcast. Like uh, I do know that we have a Shetland Bonobo cross hybrid <laughs> enclosure i don't know if the shetland bonobos are still there you know uh natalie had some very good artistic renderings of the shetland bonobos back in those days so and actually we should throw those links up she brought she brought all of her uh old web comics and other things like that back uh like radio isopod was uh was a spin-off from this uh layer from the secret layer and a couple of other things like that and the overlords notebook i believe it is is another one that uh some of us had participated in and so there's a bunch of sketches from her there as well so we'll probably post a few of those too cool yeah i i had thought i was i was on the fence um and i think with two of us playing it we'll have to we'll have to actually talk about how we want to like i don't know draw the rooms and stuff but uh i had thought about doing it because i'm in very cyberpunk headspace like doing an arcology Yes. Right. And each layer being a different layer of the arcology. And I had just watched Dread for the first time. And the new the Carl Urban one. Yes, that's a good. I love that. 
that one. Yes. And like the idea that you're moving through the levels and the thread. So I was thinking maybe not so much because arcologies are supposed to be huge and sprawling, right? Like they're, they're sure. not just cities, but mega cities onto themselves. And so you could have like each month basically being like a district within the arcology, right? So it's most like layers one through 20 levels, one through 20. And like, you know, just keep moving on through the arcology. Yeah. Um, the idea of having to generate that many ideas for a cyberpunk arcology seemed daunting. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you could do a little, uh, you know, had we started earlier, we could have done a little bit of planning in December. <laughs> planning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like if we're going to do the layer, I think we're we're good with, you know, the silly, goofy things that we've done before. Um, I, I mean, the oh so serious research and development that we do. Yes. <laughs> the bar is lower, I think. <laughs> yeah. And the. um you know, we've we've made some rooms as well, so we can we can cannibalize those and actually make them official and put put them on the map. We have lots of fodder. We do. But speaking of maps, there are things that are also ma very map like um, when you look at them from a certain point of view called board games. Uh, and we wanted to talk about board games today uh, and some of our favorite ones, uh, you know, as a some of you, uh, as we're recording this or streaming, this may actually still be on vacation. <laughs> probably by the time it comes out you probably won't be maybe maybe you will maybe it'll be summer vacation by the time this comes out but we'll see <laughs> hopefully we'll do slightly better than that but yeah <laughs> i hope so i hope so it's usually it's it's mainly my fault for not getting them edited fast but we wanted to talk about uh we wanted to talk about board games and one of one of yours which is also mine uh, is Settlers of Catan is uh, is at the top of the list here. It's one of those that my family played uh, a fair amount, like so much so that we haven't played it in a long time because we overplayed it. Uh, but I think if I pulled it out, you know, on a on a rainy Saturday, uh, we would probably play it again. Yeah. Yeah. So so Settlers of Catan to describe it is uh it's a hex tile based game. And so you uh, you can you randomly lay out the very top, the various tiles that represents different kinds of terrain. So mountains, uh, plains, uh, grasslands. Uh, there's one or two others that I can't remember off the top of my head. And they generate different resources. Right. So like the, the farm field, farm fields is one. They generate wheat. The mountains generate ore. Um, Forest forests generate generates wood. wood. Yep. So, and so you use these resources every you basically at the, at the start of the game, you place a single village at the intersection of one of these hexes and each hex has a number associated with it. Um, one or two through 12. And so you roll 2d6. And if your number comes up on that particular hex, say the hex is a six. Um, cool. You you get wood. And then eventually you get enough wood because uh, you've made mistakes when laying out your game <laughs> and choosing your places. You have way too much wood, but that's OK, because somebody else made their own mistake and now they have entirely too much sheep. And now you must trade wood for sheep or vice versa so that you can build roads and additional cities and what have you. So it's a very social game. There's a lot of trading going on. Um, there's a long game and a short game. So basically, like to begin with, you're trying to figure out like how to place your villages so that you can maximize getting the resources. but Really, in the long game, you're trying to figure out how am I going to grow? How many players are there? How are they? How are their uh, settlements going to impinge on my settlements? And how can I gather the resources I need to to build what I need to build? Right. So you and you also have certain things like 
uh, in terms of that long game, longest road. You know, yes. you, you have to make sure that you're able to build a long road that isn't cut off by somebody else. And that that is a strategic piece is like, oh, I see that person's trying to make a really long road. I'm going to build a village right here so it breaks their road up. Uh, and and uh, uh, and so they can't get longest road. Yes. And it, <laughs> yes. And it teaches about probability because mm-hmm. basically the, the way that the hexes go. So it goes from two to twelve. Right. And so if you roll two D six, the most common number you're going to get is actually a seven. And there's a mechanic for that, which is the robber. If you get if you roll a seven, you get a robber, uh, you get to move it to somebody else's hex and steal a resource from them. And then it also blocks the generation of new resources off of said hex. Right. So you can block somebody's generating lots of wood. <laughs> That's OK. I'm going to put the robber on there and not going to be able to do that anymore. Um, um, but if you have a hex that's got two on it, uh, it's not going to come up that often. But yep. because of how the game kind of lays out in the beginning and because every game is different, you might still choose that, too, because you know what? That's your best chance of getting ore and you need ore to build cities. Right. And you become very popular because for some reason, two gets hot and you generate a bunch of ore and you're the only person with ore in the game, even if there's only one. Right. Yep. Um so it's interesting. There's a lot of options. Um, we played the heck out of it in the late 90s. I think it was the first Euro game that my gaming group, the Black Razors, really got into. And what I find amazing is like the legs on this thing have been so impressive. My daughter and her friends at college, this is their go to game. Like every weekend they're playing Settlers of Catan. Gotcha. They came home for break. My son's like, hey, don't we have Settlers of Catan at my in-laws house? And we're like, yeah, no, we haven't bought that for them yet. So I guess we're going to have to fix that. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, we got our copy in the early 2000s, early, maybe 2010. Actually, no, it was it was the early 2000s um, when the Game Master show was going on. We'd have people over, uh, you know, we'd have friends over and stuff. And then we had kids. And so eventually they started playing as well. When we had it, we would usually have five or six people over. So we have the five, six player expansions for um, for settlers. Uh, and then, uh, we also wanted, there's, there's settlers of Catan and then there's some extra expansions, which is seafarers of Catan. Uh, and I think it's called cities of Catan. What is, what is that one? There's been several, there was cities and knights, cities Um, and knights. That's what it was, which I think it's called something different now because they've come up with different versions. All of mine are like the originals from like the late nineties, early aught. So I don't actually know what they're calling them at this point. Yeah. And the, and the cities and nights version that we have, um, I like to play with it because it felt to me like a board game version of Civ where you could increase the tech level of your, of your character, of your, your, your group, (laughs) your villages. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, and we played the heck out of that. So like I, I've got at least six boxes because, you know, Cities and Knights, Seafarers uh, and Settlers of Catan and the five and six player expansions for each of them. Yes. Yeah. Same same deal. They're here somewhere. <laughs> yep. I think this is the RPG wall, so they're not behind me. But um, so, yeah, that's that's a great one. Another one that we've been playing for almost as long is is Carcassonne. So Carcassonne is a tile based game. Are you familiar with Carcassonne? I am familiar with Carcassonne. The scoring for Carcassonne was always so off putting that I never like I I even have it for uh, I have it on Steam and I still can't quite grasp how to score that game. (laughs) So, um, 
Yeah. So again, it's another like Euro style game. So it has a long game and a short game. And so the, with this one, you're placing tiles. And so it's almost like putting together a puzzle. Each tile, uh, the one I'm actually most familiar with is is a one off they did called Hunters and Gatherers, where the scoring is actually a little simpler. Um, OK, baseline Carcassonne, you're trying to complete different villages. It's it, the game takes its name from a village in France. Um, and the idea is, is that you are building, you're trying to complete um, these castles. And when you complete them, the number of tiles that the castle make is comprised of, like if it's six tiles, if the, if the castle appears on six tiles, that's worth like six points. Um, or maybe 12. I don't remember. To your point, there's math. Um, yep. <laughs> there's also roads. Uh, so you, you know, it's kind of like in Catan, you're trying to get the longer you're trying to score longer roads so you can get easy points by like completing your road quickly, or you can get longer points by trying to go for a for a very long segmented road. Um, but somebody might steal that from you. It depends. Depends on. The yeah, because you you lay down tiles and everybody lays down their own tile. And so they could be yes. helping you build a long road. But you also have a certain number of little meeples that you place on different features. And that's kind of like a bet that's like, right. I think this road is going to be worth a lot of points. So I'm going to claim right. it. But as soon as you claim it, other people are going to try and make it worth not as many points as you want it to be. Right. Or connect their road to your road. So that you have to split the points. Right. Or end up with like two people on their road. And so it overwhelms, like it, it, it can get, it gets complicated. It can get complicated. Yeah. Um, there's also like a, there's a, a monastery mechanic where you're trying to like collect all the tiles around a particular monastery. There are gazillion expansions for it. I've only played a handful of them at Gen Con um, because my wife prefers hunters and gatherers. And I got to say like hunters and gatherers as a couple's game has been our go-to game for the last like, 20 something years like nice. we get together on a saturday night we're just gonna chill we play some carcassonne you have a glass of wine it's a lot of fun we don't play to screw each other over like right we, we usually just play like a fairly nice game that's just very conversational and the great thing about it was although we had to keep track of the math and it, i don't think the math is is too daunting once you i think if you've played with someone who knows the game it's easier to learn it right um it is a game that you have to play once before you can understand the strategy of the game you're not going to get it until after you've played it once or maybe three times, five times, whatever. Um, but the cool thing about it was we could play it with toddlers, right? Like my daughter and my son, uh, both when they were like two, three years old, like it's just a puzzle, right? So all they're trying to do is match up the pieces. And so you could sit there with like my daughter on my lap and she would like figure out where she wanted to put it. And then you just go with it, right? Because we're not really... Mm -hmm to win we're just playing right right um, and so she's kind of playing her game and we're playing our game and it's been uh, one of the the truly great family games for for my family very cool yeah uh speaking of the not so competitive um when we play settlers of Catan, uh and someone rolls a seven we put the robber in the desert like he just stays there. It's just like, nope. Like we, we, there is enough competition without the robber stealing um, that we don't, you know, like it's one of those things, especially when we were playing, when the girls were much younger, you would either be stealing from your kid or right. you'd always be stealing from your spouse. And, you know, none right. of that, none of that, plays very well <laughs> in, in our household. So, um, yeah, so, so we always, we, we basically got rid of the robber. There's gotcha. enough, there was enough strategy and competition in settlers for that. So, um, but yeah, I, 
with Carcassonne, that I, I would have loved to have had that had I understood how to score it in terms of as with the kids uh, being young, just having it be like basically like a pattern matching game or a puzzle game where you're like creating a pattern and you can only create you can only put the tiles down if they match like right. geomorphs for for making dungeons. You know, you can't have. You can't have a dungeon run off into, you know, a wall. It has to either go to a dead end or go to a door or whatever. Yeah, that that would have been cool to have Carcassonne back when they were little. Yeah. So as as we as the kids have gotten older, I have to be clear, like kind of benevolent only gets you so far. And mm-hmm. so my son in particular likes to mess with people and he will go after us to try and get the like to steal people's meadows and try and steal people's um roads or like in 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 hunters and gatherers it's uh it's forests and if you complete a forest you get this gold piece which allows you to draw a special piece and Mm -hmm. he's all about the special pieces so there was that time from when he was like nine through 12 where he got like that competitive edge really going Um, gotcha so it's it's been fun but it's always been um fun and nobody was crying yes (laughs) yes And it was understood that like we only mess with him so much, right? Like we make sure that he knows it's kind of like it's like having a puppy. Yes. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, you're gonna do that. Oh, well, I'm gonna steal your meadow. How does that feel? Okay, well, let's back off here. Let's not go to DEFCON five. So Yep. Yep. I see that on our list is one that we both enjoy, uh, but I have not played in years and years, uh, which is Arkham Horror. <laughs> which is the opposite of the family friendly game. <laughs> yes, I have not uh not in terms of like uh content per se, but it is lots of little fiddly bits as you've written down here and it's a co-op game but you don't always win, you know. No, uh even <laughs> even if you have perfect strategy, you still can lose and often. <laughs> and often. Yeah. We used to play this with with my friends uh, when I lived back in Illinois, you know, with the the Game Master Show group and and a few others, we would spend hours and hours playing this game. Have never played it with the girls. So to describe it, uh, you are it is set in the, the village of, of uh, the town of Arkham, Massachusetts, the set of, setting of many of, you know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's tales. And you are investigators trying to stop some great old one from appearing right and so there are various things that might be like cult there there are themed expansions um that give rise to like the king in yellow or uh innsmouth like the like uh, deep ones rising from the sea like there's various mechanics that kind of give it more flavor but at the end of the day there is a great old one who is attempting to invade arkham and like end the world and so you're trying to stop them and so the there are like i say (laughs) you say there is a gazillion fiddly bits this is a game when like the first edition when you break it out it takes a half an hour for me to set it up because there's a lot of little pieces and you have to be organized and you have to put it away organized or you're going to spend two hours setting it up yep so it's very important to manage your arkham uh and my friends and i have played it so many times over the years that like we actually got good at it like we understand the rules well enough now we haven't played it since the pandemic i'm hoping that we can get knock it out in january but like it got fun yeah we enjoyed the complexity yeah it, it's one of those where you can enjoy the the complexity of it uh we we had a, it was less than half an hour to set up like 
Gloomhaven feels hard, uh, like a lot <laughs> more set up than Arkham Horror ever was. But then again, I had, um, I think I had like paper crafted custom tuck boxes and things like that for all the different types of cards and things like that. Um, so <laughs> that helped a lot. Uh, of like, oh, just put it all in this box. And then when you need it, just pull this box out. As right. as Chris Miller was saying, he always loved the idea of Arkham Horror, but the execution uh, he did not like. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure what he means by the execution. I'm I'm supposing it's not, uh, not the execution of the characters in the game or people at the table, <laughs> but with Arkham Horror, you never know. <laughs> eight hours of game eight yeah. hours of game this is a, he, yeah. he calls it out it, so it is it, this is like my friends and i when we play this everybody knows they're in for the long haul this is not the board game that you break out and you're just like hey let's play a little arkham horror right it's a commitment yeah you're there for, you're there for the long haul like when my group plays it we usually play with uh five to six players maybe four to six players. We don't usually go beyond seven. And so it usually takes us four to six hours to complete a game, but we got good at it. And we, you know, once we start playing it again, we realize like we could actually do it um, and get through in a, in a fairly timely manner. But again, yes. a timely manner is four to six hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe eight things get into and, certain dark places. And the, <laughs> Like, yes, the, the amount of time commitment is pretty intense. It's not nearly as intense as Twilight Imperium, per se. You know, it can be really long. You know, uh, the game also has one other flaw, which which many, many other co-op games have this same flaw. You know, Gloomhaven has the same flaw. Pandemic has the same flaw, which is on our list next, actually, um, which is one person can go, oh, I have the perfect strategy. You need to go here. You need to go here. You over there, right. you need to go here. And then it it basically becomes, it's like, well, we're just going to go have dinner. Why don't you play the game by yourself? Right. You know, <laughs> and so you do have to be careful about that. And again, some of this may be the rose colored glasses. We have not played in probably a decade for for Arkham Horror. But it was still a really like I still really, really enjoyed it. Um, and if we got together, you know, as a group and say, hey, anybody want to play Arkham Horror? I would say yes. Yeah, it's it's uh, I think because we got good at it, we're familiar with the expansions. We played all of the expansions at this point that like it, that just made it easier. And and I think we didn't run into the trap of like the one person directing things, right? There's usually enough give and take and there's usually enough give yeah. and take without anybody getting upset because it is a, it is a collaborative game. And there is this tension, especially when things are starting to go off the rails uh, <laughs> where, you know, you can kind of get in each other's faces. So you want to be friends. It's, it's not like diplomacy level of diplomacy, the board game level. Of right. Like backstabbing. Right. Because there isn't a backstabbing mechanic. Like you won't lose you. Yeah. The, you won't lose your friends like you will with diplomacy. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Diplomacy is not on the list. <laughs> no, diplomacy is not on the list. I've played like two or three games of diplomacy and like, I for, like I played one game and it's like, I don't like this game. And then I forgot what diplomacy was. And then another friend of mine was like, a different friend of mine was like, Hey, do you want to try diplomacy? And then I realized, no, I do not like this game. <laughs> Yeah, I, like I said, I would play Arkham Horror again. 
I know Mer Lafferty, uh, we, she was really big into Arkham horror and the different stuff, but some of the expansions made the game so hard that she got really, really frustrated with it. Yeah, I can see that. It, it's not that it made the game hard to play. It not necessarily impossible to win, but very, very unlikely to win due to random card card shuffling. Right. Right. And that and that's not other, as fun when you're already doing it like a strategic game. Yeah. And I, and I would say, like, if anyone, if you walk up to, a, you know, at a con, you're like, oh, you know, uh, Ken and David talked about Arkham. I should play it. And if it's it's like we're going to be playing Arkham and we're going to use all the expansions. Do not play that game. OK, <laughs> uh, it, you, like for me, yeah. what I have found is one expansion works. Yeah. Right? Like maybe one of the small little decky expansions will also like if you give you a little bit more flavor, but the complexity is too much. You yeah. cannot like some people think it's great. That's the that's idea like of it, I think, is great because it's like. Oh, you're going, you're, you're in Arkham. That's the main board. You could go to, there's a place with like a train station. Um, that's like on an outskirts of Arkham. There's the other realm, the outer worlds where you can go like to the library, not the library of Lang. That's, that's, that's magic, the gathering. Uh, but like the, <laughs> like a couple of the different outer realms, you know, other worldly places, the dreamlands, et cetera. Yeah. And then you can go to I think you can go to Antarctica in one of the expansions. Or was that one of the homebrew expansions that I might have picked up? Yeah, homebrew expansion. There okay. is a there is a second edition of it. I haven't played it. My friends played it. They didn't like it. I think the next mm. time we play, we're gonna be to the first edition again. Yeah. Um, but that's our kind of well, speaking of homebrew, uh we did do two homebrew characters that I found on Board Game Geek. Uh there was uh Alan Quartermain. Um, oh, this great. was, this was shortly after league of extraordinary gentlemen had come out. And so it was okay. Sean Connery and they, they did it, uh, in the Arkham card style. So I was able to print it out in color on cardstock. And then the nice. other one, which could probably be considered its own eldritch horror was SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so another another collaborative game that I enjoy uh, is and I think we both enjoy is, is Pandemic. Yeah. Um, Pandemic is another sort of like, I think, gateway game to get people into things other than Monopoly. Like if you think Monopoly is a great game, if you think Sora is a great game. We have better games, people, and, and yeah. we can we can have them play them. Um, and the great thing about uh, Pandemic is you, you are playing um, uh, CDC investigators well, maybe not so much investigators, like a response team that is yeah. dealing with outbreaks of different pandemic viruses around the world. And your goal is to try and manage all of these viruses while finding cures. And then the cures allow you to eradicate the virus. And then eventually that allows you to save the world. Um, the game has uh, some two cool like clock mechanics, right? So um, built into the decks, there's an outbreak card. And if that outbreak card comes up, then the virus expands more rapidly. Um which can spell doom <laughs> very quickly, depending on how, how quickly those cards come up. There is a, yep. a spacing mechanic and how you're supposed to, to spread out the, the cards, but you can draw poorly depending on how things got shuffled. Yes. Um, and then the, so the, the outbreaks cause one clock to advance. And if you get to the end of that clock, then the game ends. And then the and other that, one is if you run. And that outbreak clock, because it causes viruses to replicate basically in the cities, uh, or in the different locations, 
if there's too many viruses, that means the viruses spread to other locations, which also, I believe, ticks up that same clock yes. that, that yes. says the viruses win. Yes. And then you can also lose if you run out of uh, if you run out of virus. <laughs> yes. If you there's run out of virus to put on the board. there's there's uh, basically you get uh, little cubes uh, of different colors. And I think is it four or five different colors? Um, but there's a fixed well, number of each one. Yeah, there's yes. a fixed number of each one. And if you run out of a particular color. Game over. And so what ha what happens is, is that when outbreaks happen, you stack up the blocks. And so to begin with, there might be one block on a particular country um, or location like London. Right. And so uh, as you're, you're drawing cards and that's showing you where additional viruses are showing up. And so if a second uh, virus shows up in London, will you put another block there? And then if there's three and then. You, you draw it yet again, it explodes and contaminates all of the surrounding cities. And so if those also happen to have three, uh, then then things escalate rather quickly. Yep. And what makes it cool is that each person has a character that that um, breaks the rules in a particular way. Right. So you have a medic like basically you can spend a turn to get rid of one virus. The medic can choose to spend a turn to get rid of all viruses in a city, right? So the medic is very powerful where you want to move them to. There's a logistics person which allows him to pull or push people to different locations. And so each person has a vital role that needs to happen. But to your earlier point about Arkham, you can end up with the mastermind who's like, everybody stop. I know what to do. Right. And yeah. you're just telling other people how to move. And so the game works best when you're coming together to talk about what our strategies should be to get through the next turn. Yeah. And yeah, as long as everybody is like coming together and agreeing, yes, that plan is the one we should follow rather than someone just dictating it is, is a whole other thing. Um, and well, the last two years we haven't really played it. This is true. Um, I was, I, ironically, I was going to put it down on the list uh, and then saw you had already put it down on the list because uh, I was out uh, at dinner with my girls tonight. And I was like, what, what were your favorite board games and they listed pandemic as one of them. So uh, they do enjoy it. And they're like, we haven't played that in a while. It's like, yeah. And they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so famously I've told this story before on the podcast. Uh, I caused the pandemic um, because I got pandemic legacy and we played it over uh, Christmas break, 2019 to 2020. Um, and we played like two or three rounds of it to get people learning how to play Pandemic. And, and then, all, three months later, we had the, the virus that we had unleashed from the box uh, spread throughout the entirety of the world. Right. And then nobody wanted to play Pandemic Legacy anymore. Well, uh, we're Pandemic, all playing Pandemic Legacy right we now. We are playing Pandemic Legacy because Pandemic Legacy is a darker version of the game. Like it, choices made in one game carry over into the next game. And I think we were talking about doing Legacy games in a future episode, so I won't get into it too deeply. But uh, cities can fall. Riots can happen. Bad things like New York has been wiped off the map because of rampaging viruses and what have you. And that just seemed like a little too dark for the pandemic. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> On the lighter side of things, and I may be breaking the board game rule here. That's okay. I really enjoy, there's a, a particular company out there called Hunt a Killer. I think that there are more out there, but I haven't found them. So if anybody out there knows of any, another 
company that does games like this. I would love to know about them, but they're basically a murder mystery in a box. Uh, the first one I got, Aaron had gotten it for me. It's called Murder by the Dozen. And it was basically like a great British bake off or Hell's, Hell's Kitchen wouldn't be the right one. But basically, it's like a bunch of contestants are are in a baking show. And one of one of the judges has had a death threat against them. And you're trying to figure out which of the contestants and and I think maybe one of the other like one or two of the crew is trying to kill that particular person. And so you're like you're brought in as an outside investigator. And it's kind of like an escape room ish thing in a box where you have you have things like ciphers, you have stuff like ripped up pieces of paper that you have to put them all together and figure out their stuff before. I may have mentioned this before, this sort of thing before. One of the latest ones was, you know, there was an actual physical wooden box with a combination lock on it mm -hmm. that we had we had to use other clues to figure out what the combination was to open the box to get more clues that were in that box. They all take between an hour to two to three hours, depending upon their complexity and how many people and how good they are at solving puzzles. Gotcha. We at once did like one for like two hours and we're like, okay, let's stop for the night. Let's put everything away. Uh, you know, we make murder boards <laughs> on, you know, of like who each suspect is and everything like that. So we'd done all of that. And it's like, okay, well, let's just, let's go to bed for the night. You know, it's, it's late. And then we got up and then the next evening was like, OK, well, let's 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 continue. And then like 10 minutes later, we had the killer. <laughs> so we were like 10 minutes away from from solving the puzzle the night before. But we were all really, uh, uh, really tired. So but yeah, I think we've gotten three or four of them now. Uh, one of them is in one of them is in shrink wrap waiting to be opened. We have his lean back home from college for the rest of this week so we may pull that one out nice i will say that, that reminds me of a game my group used to play a fair like we played it several times and we we enjoyed it. it was mystery of the abbey it came out i think in 1995 i'm not sure when we played it because i see that there's like translated editions of it um it's another euro game and it, it would be on those lists of you know you see do you like do you know like monopoly play acquire instead right um this would be you like clue play mystery of the abbey instead because oh. the setup is you are monks and there has been a murder in the abbey and you need to figure out who did it and it's it's like a more complex clue but it's a similar sort of like go and find all the clues as a board game type thing but it's got like funny rules so one of them is like you draw a card that requires you to sing for the rest of the turn like you can speak <laughs> but you gotcha. have to everything that you say has to be in like you know the, the monkish chant gotcha so it's kind You're of like playing Monty Python <laughs> Flux. And if you want to draw an extra card, you have to sing part of a Monty Python song. Yeah, I think it was it was interesting. Like there were these different like there was another thing where like for the rest of the turn, you have taken a vow of silence and you may not speak. Oh, geez. Right? And so um, it was it was it was fun. Like I, I, I'm, I'm nostalgic for it now as you talk about murder mysteries. But uh, yeah. if you like Clue, and you're looking for something that's a little bit more um, adult, right? Like it's got some more complexity to it. Check yeah. out Mystery at the Abbey. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of uh, your your vow of silence part reminded me of the original Aeon edition of Cosmic Encounters. 
Um, there's been ah. several editions since then, but I still think the Aeon edition, especially the, the way that we played it, was the best. One of the powers was silencer and you could silence another player and they could not communicate for the rest of that <laughs> turn. Like they couldn't nice. make gestures. They couldn't like they couldn't even say I'm done with my turn. And basically that game kind of in some ways encouraged bending slash breaking slash cheating. Yes. No, it definitely encouraged where. <laughs> and so you could be like, oh, are you done? Then uh, they can't say anything. And then so you just start your turn. <laughs> I miss that game. <laughs> yeah, I, I played a re-released for one of the re-released versions at Gen Con. In like the late 90s, I think it was when it might have been. I'm trying to remember. I Avalon played Hill, okay, like it was either Avalon Hill or or Fantasy Flight, I think, did it. And I have yeah. a copy of that one. And it was just not the same no, for me. Yeah. I, I've heard so, legends of the original, but never yeah, played. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we used to play with with two powers and they'd both start face down, which meant you had no powers, but you could reveal them at, at any time. Like normally you can put four of your armies in what's called the cone to like attack a planet. But if you were the Macron, each of your each of your tokens counts as four tokens. But the disadvantage is you can only put one of your tokens in the cone. Anyone else would put four and it would count as four. You could put one and it would count as four. But with the way we played, if you're face down, you would put four tokens in the cone. Then you would reveal Macron. And so you would have effectively 16 tokens in the cone. <laughs> we did. Uh, and I think we could do future episodes where we talk about games that we have loved. Yes. Uh, but uh, Illuminati, Steve Jackson games. Oh, uh, yeah. We would do a similar thing with the with the different Illuminati. We'd play face down Illuminati. And so you wouldn't know uh, what things were and you could cheat and just use yes. anybody's power uh until such time and you could like vary <laughs> your power abilities until such time as like i think each turn you could use one of your actions to call out somebody else and say i think you're this there's right a, and then you would actually have to play by the rules there's actually right now and it's one of those things where, is it a card game or is it a board game sort of thing um actually i, I we need to i'll bump it to our card game list but red dragon <laughs> in is a good one uh that was also mentioned by my daughter's this one, I can't remember the name of it, but you have two cards. Those cards are two different royal type people. You know, you go around, you collect money during your turn, et cetera, et cetera. But you can also then try and assassinate your opponent's character, your opponent's characters and your opponent, maybe somebody else at the table each time, you know, it depends. Like your goal is to get to the end of the game and right. everyone else is dead. <laughs> your cards are face down. And so you can pretend that you're you have a a particular card, even if you don't. But then someone can call you on it and you have to flip the card up if they've if they've called you on it. And if you're correct, something happens. And if they're in and if they're correct, you know, something else happens. I played the game once or twice and it was a lot of fun, but it is also one of those very competitive games. So if you're right. more on the co-op <laughs> side, if you're. If your pendulum swings more co-op, this is not a game that you probably want to play. <laughs> it's much more toward the. Oh, what was the what was the game you said earlier? It was the very, very competitive game that ruins friendships. 
Oh, diplomacy. Diplomacy. Yeah, it's very it's <laughs> it's not quite it diplomacy. <laughs> it's not quite diplomacy level, but it could get to diplomacy level. There's and just be, just like the, the old cosmic encounters is is definitely on the competitive side, but mm. it's but you play it enough and it it the games go fast enough that you don't really like it's like I am going to lose and it is two more hours until I finish this game. Like, <laughs> right. you know, it's not that feeling. It's like, I am going to lose. Oh, the game's over. Let's play again. Right. You know? Right. I would like to suggest that one of the rooms in the, in the, in the, uh, the layer of secrets is the diplomacy room and the diplomacy room, uh, is just like a concrete filled room with diplomacy at the center. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like sure. We just sealed it in so that no one, no, no one will ever play diplomacy because you just can't get to it. Yeah. Probably um, with a bunch of skeletons in there with right, knives in their yes. back. <laughs> yes. All of the, the people who were uh, metaphysically murdered while playing diplomacy. Yes. Um, so uh, another cool game that you have down here, which I love um, although it runs into the complexity factor, depending on how many expansions you're playing with, is Sentinels of the Multiverse, which yes. is a card game, collaborative card game. I love yes. it. Yeah, like it it, it, it kind of depends on how you view. It. I mean, yes, it's all made up of cards, but there's also a bunch of tokens and there's a this bunch of true. status tokens and other things like yes. that. So there are like, lots of fiddly bits. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of fiddly bits that go along with it. And so it it. Uh, it is hard to say if it's a full card game, but it's probably a card game. So uh, each so the, the way that it that it plays is each person has a deck of cards and that deck of card uh, represents a character. So, for example, Tachyon is a female speedster. Um, think the Flash. Um, the Wraith is uh, let's see. She is like female Batman. Batman equivalent. Female Batman. Um, there is oh my gosh, I play this game so much. Another there's Benchmark, which is kind of uh, he is a he is a uh, an Iron Man analog where he has lots of fiddly bits, so lots of like power ups for his armor. Like it takes it's a complex character because you have to figure out how to play the cards in order to get him to power up. And so as the game goes along, each person is controlling a deck. Um, you have a hand and each turn you can play one of your cards. And so that might be an equipment card. So in Benchmark's case, he has cards that give him like armor or allow him to allow somebody else to draw two cards or somebody else to use a power. You have cards that are a power. Uh, so you might be able there's a uh, let's see legacy who's like the Captain America analog. Um, he has a power that grants everybody else plus one to their attacks. Um, he has another power that protects him from uh, from all kinds of a certain type of energy uh, type of attack. So the types of attacks are all of your cosmic, all of your uh, comic book classics like cosmic energy and projectiles yep. and melee and toxic and what have you. And, and he can protect you from that. Uh, he can protect himself from that using uh, this uh, uh, evolution card. Um, and then he has other cards that are like ongoing cards that allow him to. So in Legacy's case, you can play a card that's redirection, which allows you, oh, somebody else just got hit with uh, toxic damage while well, I'm protected from toxic damage. So I'll redirect the toxic damage to me. Right. right. And so he's, he's great at buffing other people and helping other people. He, he's um, great at buffing and tanking leader. Yeah. Buffing, buffing and tanking. Whereas, um, Tachyon is all about playing basically what are instants, right? Like they're one shot cards that you play. She can do a whole bunch of damage. Some of her cards, uh, she Allow does more damage based on, Based yeah. on the number of discards that she has in her in her discard deck. Yeah. Um, and there's there's uh there's 
like cards that allow you to play more cards. So you can kind of chain all those things together. The different heroes can play off of each other. Like different heroes work really well with other heroes, you know, like legacy can give some protection to other people or redirect damage to themselves so that they, he can protect some of the squishier people, but those squishier people can basically be given enough time to power up to really hit something really hard. Because there's a there's there is a the short term boom 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 and playing a lot of quick cards and the great thing is is that the the different decks in the game let you play to what you want to do so if you're if you're the guy or or the girl or whomever who who really wants to like you like the long game right you love the complexity of having all of those fiddly bit components out there cool benchmark is for you it's going to take you six rounds to get to the point where benchmark is really able to do some damage but he's got cool things and his cards play off of one another and there's a lot of complexity and that's great and if you're like but ken all i want to do is hit things that's great there's a character named haka he is basically the hulk (laughs) yeah and haka smash (laughs) and every turn like he gets out a club he gets out like uh different sorts of like equipment things, but it's all about smashing things Yep, <laughs> and you can do damage every round, which is fine because benchmark can help you do that more often. Yeah. And so the, you know, you, each of you has your own character, you know, you form a super right. team, but you have to fight something. So yes, you have a villain deck and that villain, as you are, you know, a villain has a certain amount of hit points, but also they have their own powers and they, so every round there's a, everybody does their own thing, but also the villain then gets to go and you're, you're, there are rules for how often and how many cards you pull off the villain deck and villains have minions, villains have superpowers, villains have gadgets, all sorts of things. And of course, villains and superheroes have to fight in a place. And so there's an environment. (laughs) And so that environment Uh, You know, you could be playing in the in the the big city. You could be playing on Dinosaur Island or they're the equivalent of Dinosaur Island. You could be playing on Mars, you know, and and each of those different locations have different things that benefit the heroes, different things that go against the heroes and and different things that basically affect everybody at the table, uh, depending upon how things go. And then. um as you get more expansions, you get more access to more heroes, more villains. And there's kind of like a story arc, a comic book story arc that goes through all of these different expansions, ending in the biggest expansion, which I have played once at Gen Con and have own, but have not played since then because we played Sentinels of the Multiverse so much that most of my family doesn't want to play it anymore, uh, called Oblivion. <laughs> Where you have to defend the universe against it, against the villain who is trying to destroy the universe or the actually destroy the multiverse because he's taking the multiverse and smashing different realities into each other, destroying them in the process until there's theoretically only one um, and you're trying to uh, where he would rule, um, but you're trying to stop them. And that's that's like the final expansion. Right. And it's crazy complex yes. so i think my son and i played a lot of this and he really enjoyed like the base level um sentinels there are expansions that allow you to have two teams fight off against one another which is on the the road to oblivion um and oblivion it's got multiple decks like it's got all kinds of stuff that's, that's going on um 
And I can see that like you almost need to play it with like four or five people just so that everyone can pay attention to what the heck is going on, because there's so much. Um, There is a fantastic uh, game for iOS, Android and Steam, which is um, the digital version of Sentinels. And I have to say, I play Sentinels every week. I I just play it on the app because it manages (laughs) all of the complexity. And when I play it, the last time my son and I played it, we actually played it on the app because it manages all of the stuff. It keeps track of all the counters. Like it just does all the math. It just makes it so much easier to play. (laughs) I love that part of it, but I miss the tactile feeling of all the cards and the, the the drawing of the card yourself, things like that. I would love to see a VR version of that game. Oh yeah. Because it would be really fun to draw the card yourself, but have all the fiddly bits taken care of. You know, like like the Gloomhaven helper app is so helpful because you don't have to get half the fiddly bits out of the box because the helper app deals with all of that yourself. So, yeah, I I enjoy the video game version of Sentinels as well. But I really, really like the card game version because it's like the tactile feel and talking with each other across the table instead of everybody looking at a screen. Yes, no, I I completely agree. but, you know, for a solo game, it's fun. Yep. <laughs> if you want to play it solo, I would recommend playing it with the app rather than trying to break out like the version that I have here. Gotcha. Um, and then lastly, we have an oldie but goodie. Yes, I'm and I'm oldie, reaching way back, <laughs> way back into the past. I know it's been re-released since my copy that I have. We talked about this long time ago, and I said I was going to mail it to you but I'm still trying to find all the minis minis for it. <laughs> so I'll find most of the minis and you may have to use some proxies in the middle of it, but it does play to your love of things like mothership and aliens, uh, which is space Hulk, which comes from the 40 K Warhammer 40 K universe. I wonder if Henry Cavill has uh, actually played it, played space Hulk. I got this game. Wow early 90s late it would either been like 88 89 or very early 90s um because i played it in college uh yeah i played it in college basically you are terminator space marines you are this the elite of the elite in super powerful armor with bolters or a chain gun or chain swords you know, all sorts of flame, a flamer, et cetera. Uh, the base game is standard loadout Terminator with a bolter and then a flamer Marine. And the flamer only has six shots, but each shot of the flamer will envelop an entire room in flame. And you're fighting the gene stealers, which is effectively aliens. Yes. Like xenomorph aliens. <laughs> um, I think they yes. would have gotten in trouble. I think they could have gotten in trouble, but they made these aliens have four arms and two legs instead of just two arms and two legs. So I think that they're legally distinct enough, (laughs) but all the corridors are one, like you, you, you lay out a map and they have different scenarios in each, in the books. They have, you know, 10, 12 scenarios in the books. And there's a couple of expansions that add more scenarios and add more pieces. And of course you can make up your own scenarios, but you lay out this, derelict spaceship that the terminators are going on to all of the corridors are only one square wide 
you know, four or five, six squares long sometimes. Uh, and then they'll open out into a room and that room will have corridors branching off of it. The way it works is as you're entering in, you could be the, the Terminator player or you could be the Gene Stealer player. As the Terminator player, you're starting to move on. As the Gene Stealer player, you have basically like a bag full of tokens and you pull out three tokens every turn and you look at them and but your opponent does not see. And then you place them face down onto the entry points that the gene stealers are known to be coming in from. And those are blips on the Terminator's motion trackers. And uh, and you get to move a certain number of spaces for each of these things. You can only move. A, you can't move all of them. I think you can only move uh two to four. I don't remember exactly how many you might even have to roll a die to see right. how many of the blips move. Uh, but you can choose which blip they are. And I think you can lift up the blip to remind yourself, oh, this one, this one has this many under it. OK, right. <laughs> so you're moving these things in to go assault the Terminators and prevent them from getting to whatever goal they had, because usually it's a goal oriented mission. If they get yeah. to their goal or if they accomplish their goal, game ends and the Terminators win. If you prevent them from doing it and eliminate all the Terminators, the Gene Stealers win. Um, and so you have each of those blips has between zero and three Gene Stealers under it. So you could use a blip that has zero as a decoy to get the terminators to all face one direction while you bring up this other blip that has three and attack them from behind where you definitely have an advantage because if the if as soon as a blip could be seen by a terminator you have to flip it over show how many gene stealers are there and put those physical models on the board right but uh and then you can you can voluntarily flip it so that if you want to rush in and attack you could voluntarily flip it, put the gene sealers on the board and go. If the 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 terminators have a distinct advantage against the gene stealers at range because they have guns, gene stealers don't. But as soon as the gene stealers get into hand to hand combat with the terminators, it is a slightly better than 50 percent chance that the terminator will die. <laughs> it is possible to survive. But the likelihood that the Terminator is going to die is very, very high. The Terminators are always outnumbered by the Gene Stealers. Right. And one of the reasons why I was saying I wanted to find all of the models for it is like you may have like 20 Gene Stealer models. If you have that many on the board, doesn't matter what the number is under the blip. Uh, if that blip is forced to reveal, it's actually zero because you don't have any models to put more on the board. So you, sometimes right. you want to rush your gene stealers so that you have enough models to put more gene stealers on the board somewhere else. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder, I haven't, I haven't looked to see about 3d printing um, something that is not a gene stealer, but perhaps thematically similar to a gene stealer that could be used in a gene stealer like way. <laughs> I'm sure it could be. I'm sure they could be. There are lots of different types of things out there that could be used as proxies. The rule books say, Oh, the box has this many gene sellers and this has this many terminators and blah, blah, blah. Um, right. So, you know, you could you could figure that part out easily. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. I had hours and hours of fun, you know, switching sides, 
playing Gene Sealer, playing Terminators, playing the expansions. There's some expansions where you're like, you have to, there's like an automated, basically a robot crawler that's moving through the maze and you roll a die to figure out where it's going and you have to catch up to it, grab it and take it back to the front. But if your guy dies, it drops. And I believe it starts, it starts moving randomly again. So like, like it's, but it's got data in it that is essential, supposedly right. essential. You know, it, it's a game. Yes, it's yes. essential to get back. And that's how you win. So so you keep having to run back for it. Yeah. And it, it I can't say enough about it because it was. It was a game that played fairly fast. It did take a long time, but that's mainly because you're thinking about your moves. And you're thinking about like the different tactics that you can do. You know, the flamer Marine only has six shots. So as the Terminator, you're like, do I flame that room and kill however many things are in it or possibly in it? Or did the gene stealer put a blip in there that instead of has, you know, there's two blips in that room, but one could be a zero and one could be a one. And that's a big waste of a flamers, you know, a flamer Marines flame. But if it's two threes, that is totally worthwhile. Right. Yeah. I think um, when we played it and I, and so honestly, I've never owned it. So I've only ever played it with other people with other people's games. And so I don't know what the actual rules are, but most of the time when I would play it at a con um, to be able to have multiple people play, you would divide up like each person would get a Terminator and then there'd be multiple people who are running the gene stealers. And so it would be like maybe three on three and Mm -hmm. then, and, and it was always fun. Like it was always desperate. And even when you were losing, you were laughing because it was so like you would lose so terribly. Right. Oh, or, yeah. or it was so desperate, like the desperate run, like the game does an awesome uh, job of, of generating sort of the dread that comes from like the gene stealers are coming. Like it creates those, like the false hope that you think you can do it. And then like you've, you're going to get to the end. And then all of a sudden the gene stealers swarm. And like, there's one guy who's going to make it to the exit. Right. And like, yep. you're the noisiest table at the con because yep. everybody is cheering and everybody is booing. And now you've collected like every con I've been at that's had space Hulk, you gain an audience. And now yeah. everybody at the con, like everybody, you've got 20 people at the table. Two people are now still playing or three people are still playing or whatever. And there's like all of the, like the back and forth of it. And it just creates this amazing energy. Yes. Uh, that I've always enjoyed. <laughs> and it's it, like, it was one of the first games that I had that had actual like Warhammer 40 K, but, but actual plastic minis, you know, that mm-hmm. you'd want to paint, etc. cetera. Uh, I did a horrible job painting them, but at the same time, <laughs> it was still a lot of fun. And it was one of those things that kind of also got me into more of the hobby side of, of stuff because while it comes with really nice cardboard layouts of, you know, cardboard pieces of the ship, of the corridors and the rooms, it's one of those things where, hmm, you know, like I went and I found uh, that her starts, they make uh, silicone rubber molds for plaster gotcha. and they have like they have like sci fi right. um, and and it's made for gaming. So they're in. They're in, you know, t- uh, squares, et cetera. Um, and so you could theoretically make a much better looking, although it would play exactly the same, like 
style of like 3D Space Hulk that you're playing through this basically huge diorama, but you're still playing effectively on a board. Um, right. So it it doesn't it doesn't start getting into the impreciseness that some war games can sometimes feel where you're measuring out with a with a tape measure. Right. You you can count the squares. It's fine. Right. Um, like I love war games. It, they're great. I haven't played them in a while, but but I love them. But this fits squarely on the board game side of things. Yes. Yes. So I love it. Love to play it again. Who knows? Maybe if I actually make it out to Gen Con this year, you know, <laughs> take an evening and we'll play Space Wolf. But that would be awesome. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. If you have feedback, we love feedback. You can send it to us at podcast at Lair of Secrets or via Twitter at Lair of Secrets. And since Twitter, uh, as we've mentioned previously, seems to be having some challenges this day and may, you know, implode upon itself and collapse into a singularity like tomorrow. Uh, we're also on Mastodon, where you can find us on Dice Camp at Lair of Secrets. Links are in the show notes. Um, we stream this live on Twitch. So if you want to get your fix of things early, unedited and perhaps duplicated because we're having technical issues, you can join us on Twitch. Um, we are Lair of Secrets, one word over there. Uh, you can also visit uh, the mothership, which is lairofsecrets.com, and leave us some feedback, topic ideas, or your own thoughts about what we've talked about today. We'd love to hear from folks about what your favorite board games are.